Take out your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, as we finish up the 13th chapter before we move on, uh, we're on the home stretch here in the book of Romans. And the Apostle Paul now turns his attention to one of those areas of life where I think Christians often fall into two camps. One is the libertine grace kids that say, you know, I'm saved by grace through faith, and really what I do honestly doesn't matter because I'm saved by grace and through faith. And then you have the legalistic grace kids who wander around and think that they have something to prove to God, and so they beat themselves up and do all manner of things attempting to win the favor of the God who's poured grace on their lives. The Apostle Paul kind of puts this into perspective for us as we finish out here, verses 11 through 14, in a study that I've entitled, Clothed in Christ. There's a secret here. You see, for we who love the Lord, we absolutely have a debt of love. That debt of love should cause us to live our lives in such a way that we literally take on the character, the nature and very specifically, the deep and abiding love of the Lord Jesus. For many Christians, the way that works out is they just kind of stand for nothing. But this beautiful picture that we now have gives us a very specific way for us to relate to how we ought to live our lives. Most of you know that if you put on the uniform of the United States, any of the five branches of service, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, you actually take a pledge to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. And wherever you wear that uniform, you represent all of us. The same is true in a municipal police department or sheriff's department. You promise to protect and defend those who are in your community. When you put on a uniform, you are supposed to represent the authority with which that uniform was given. We, as the body of Christ, are to be clothed in the uniform of Jesus. We represent the Lord. What we should be wearing should be Christ-like. How we should present ourselves, what we should say. In the military, failure to discharge your duties faithfully, to dishonor the uniform, to dishonor the flag, is cause for action against you. Praise the Lord and the army of God. We're not going to be disciplined, but we may move out of favor with him. He wants us to be outstanding soldiers in his army. He wants us to clearly defend his integrity, his character, his nature. And in fact, he wants us to be his hands, his feet, his mouthpiece, He wants us, in essence, to be exactly what he told us to be, and that is for us to be the light of the world. We shine the light of Christ on this world. The way we can best do that is by wearing a spotless uniform. And so tonight, clothed in Christ, would you join me and let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us this great privilege uh, of donning the uniform that says we are yours. And God, we pray that you'd minister to us tonight by the power of your word, that it would transform and change and mold and shape us. Help us to look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus. Help us to bathe everything in deep and abiding love. Help us to be holy as you are holy. Truly, Lord, help us to put you on. 
especially in this season, Lord, where people are wondering what Christmas is all about, would they not be confused when they meet us? We love you, we praise you, we bless you, and we ask all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Verse 11 here in Romans 13. And now do this. Notice it doesn't say know this, think this, think about this, play around with this, wonder if this is truth. It says, and now do this. Knowing the time. And now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The Apostle Paul turns his attention towards those very last days. And while it is true that the disciples at that time, those who named the Lord Jesus at that time, were looking imminently towards the return of the Lord, the Lord had ascended into heaven. He said he'd be back. He said, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. That's all true. And for the last 2,000 years, we who love the Lord have been awaiting his imminent return. And here's the beauty of this passage. What was true then is still true today, but it is way closer today than it was then. Those signs of the times, those things that we know Scripture says will be the evidence that we're in the very last grains of sand in God's hourglass. I don't know how many of you, you know, growing up uh, here in the United States, it seems like every fall, you remember we were younger, the Wizard of Oz was always playing about this time. We just had it on a, a week or so ago. On that one scene with the Wicked Witch of the West, as she's, you know, flips over the hourglass and says, Time is short, my pretty. <laughs> as that sand starts to drain out. In the sense of world history, there's not a whole lot of grains left in that hourglass. Israel has been in the land since May 14th of 1948, speaking their own language. They've been surrounded by their enemies for all of that time. The constant threat of destruction. The Lord says one day that an army will rise out of the north, that that army will be joined by a plethora of Arab nations, in a battle described there in Ezekiel 38-39, those armies have been arrayed against Israel now for quite some time. That dry bones prophecy is Israel would have sinew and meat put back on the skeleton that was this wasted away people that had gone into exile. We are right smack dab on the cusp of the imminent return. First at the rapture of the church, followed seven years later by the return of the Lord to deal with sin, to deal with the enemies of God. It is nearer. It's nearer than when we first believed. And whether you first believed yesterday or whether, like me, you first believed decades ago, for me, it is nearer, and for you, it is nearer. Every day it becomes nearer, and nearer still. So for those that say, well, that can't be true, How's, how come the Lord has not come? Because he's declared to us that no man will know the day or the hour. But we will know the times and seasons. We're getting close. I was reading an article today, this crazy, insane, 30-something-year-old dictator in North Korea, now possessing an intercontinental ballistic missile that could put an atomic weapon anywhere in the United States of America. That wasn't true a few weeks ago, as far as our government knew. 
or at least what they were telling us. You see, as we sit here tonight, I want to ask you a question. Are you aware of what time it is? Because it's nearer than you think. And now it is high time to awake out of that sleep. For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Night is far spent. In other words, the time of the enemy's reign is nearly over. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He's been at it a long time. But the night is far spent. The kingdom of darkness fighting against the kingdom of light. And everywhere that light shines, the darkness flees. The day is at hand. The bright, the shining day. And therefore, so here's where it comes in for us. Right now, right here, tonight. Therefore, he says, verse 11, and do this because you know what time it is. Do this because you're not asleep. Do this because you do understand you have been taught well. You know what time it is. You know where we are. You know what season it is. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. These incredible contrasts. For us as believers, for us as the body of Christ, we are a called out people. That's what a saint is. That's what we are. We are different than the world. Yes, we have to walk in love. Yes, we must allow that divine process of us loving people to the uttermost to be the forefront of all that we do. But he says, as we put on this armor of light, let us walk properly, circumspectly, uprightly, correctly, Make no mistake what he's saying here. There is a difference between we who are in this world as believers and those who are in this world who do not know the Lord. There is supposed to be a marked difference between us. People should be able to tell what uniform we're wearing. How will they tell that? Because we're wearing the uniform of Jesus. We have put on, it's going to say, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and in lust, not in strife and in envy. You see the contrast? He says darkness and light. He says let us put on the armor of light. And then he tells us what the armor of light does not look like. He tells us how to judge whether you have on the right uniform or not. He gives you six keys as to what that looks like. But, and again that's a conjunction, it's a transitional word. It can also be written in therefore because A is true, B is also true. Because you do know what time it is, because you are God's kids, because you're children of the light, you're not children of the darkness, because those things are true, then this must also be true. <clears throat> but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You see this passage, when you first look at it, 
you can almost skip over it like it's a conclusion to the totality of the chapter. He's finished this exhortation on love, and he now goes on to say, look, this is how love looks. You see, sometimes people think that love just looks mushy and gooey and kind of like the Hallmark Channel. By the way, I watch the Hallmark Channel. It's one of the few safe channels on all of TV. If you want to know what the plot is, call me up, I can tell you. But it should be clear what the plot is of your life. It shouldn't be a mystery. People shouldn't have to guess which uniform you're wearing. One of the things that happened, especially during the First and Second World War, was when someone deserted, they would simply grab a dead corpse from the battlefield and take the uniform off of that corpse and put it on their own body. The uniform determined the side because most people wouldn't stop long enough to actually ask you a question in German. They wouldn't walk up and say, How's it going? They just assume because of the uniform that you were a German. Or they would assume that you were an American. They would assume you were British. All based on what you had on. And oh, by the way, they would shoot accordingly. You see, that's the picture here. It's time to wake up. It's time to clean up. It's time to not be found dressed in the wrong, grimy garments of this world. It's time, you know, I, I, there was a show that was on it. You can watch it on reruns, What Not to Wear. You may have remembered that. It was a fairly safe show. But it was always shocking to me what people thought was good when they left their house. It's like, oh my, do you not have a mirror? You see, when you're ingrained into a behavior, you become like that person on what not to wear who doesn't even realize that what they have on looks hideous. You think it might be the Lord because you've walked in that grime for so long that you've learned to live with it. So Paul focuses now on the urgency We need to be clothed in Jesus, clothed in Christ. There's an interesting thing, and many of you, I've I've shared with you that it's true, but actually what happened was the the believers in Antioch in Syria, there in Acts chapter 11, actually came up with this derogatory term for people who believed in the Lord Jesus. They actually made up the term, Little Christ. It's kind of like, oh, you bunch of little Christs. It was derogatory. It's derogatory no more. It's a perfect picture. We're supposed to be looking, acting, being like the Lord Jesus. We should be confused with him. People should be able to confuse us and say, man, I believe that's exactly how Jesus acts. We're supposed to wear that uniform. We need oftentimes to get a new wardrobe. And so Paul starts talking about this moral, this spiritual dilemma of taking off the old garments and putting on the new. For the Jewish person, the rabbis used to say that actually the, the, the most pure of the rabbis would literally be cloaked in the Shekinah glory of God. We actually had a glimpse of that with Moses. That's what happened to him. When he met with God, he came down the mountain and he glowed. Can you imagine if every believer on the earth actually glowed with Jesus? They so put on the glory of God, they so walk with the Lord, that people were going, man, what is wrong with you? You're shining. 
There's something in your face. I can see it. We don't want to become like Moses as that glory began to wane. Amen? We, we want God to be pleased with us. We want Him to look at our lives and go, there goes my son. There goes my daughter. And so He uses this object lesson of taking off the old clothes and putting on the new. He's basically saying you need a a wardrobe modification. And we all need a wardrobe adjustment every once in a while, don't we? Any of you ever gone through your closet and go, man, I think I bought that in 1965. (laughs) And you pull it out, there's like moth holes in it, you know, and it because of the fact that you are now girth challenged, it doesn't fit the way it used to. And you put it on, it's like, oh, I'm not going out of the house in this. There are some things that were okay when you were younger in the Lord. But now that you've grown, now that you've matured, you you see, you were justified immediately. When you said yes to Jesus, righteousness was taken from his account and put into yours so that God only sees his righteousness. In that sense, you've been justified by the blood of the Lamb. You've been made right in the eyes of God. That's positionally an accurate statement. You are going to heaven, and in that sense, you're perfected in him right now today. And in that sense, you began that first step of sanctification. You are a saint But the problem with a lot of people is they stay there. We're supposed to be continuing the journey of sanctification. We're supposed to be freshening the wardrobe. We're supposed to be looking at the things, and he lists a number of them that we should be taking off and then replacing them with something that looks like Jesus. And that's where we need some help. I need my bride to look at my... I do this. Sometimes I come down and I, you know, I'll put on some clothes because I'm, I'm garment challenged. You know, I am a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy and flip-flops. I would actually be wearing that right now if it weren't, like, not okay. I still haven't quite figured out why it's not okay, but so I will come down and I'll have something on and she'll go, well, the that color doesn't go with that color. You know, you need, that's, that's a little too blue and this is a little too green and she'll pick those things out because I can't see it because it's on me. That's one of the roles that you have in each other's lives. There are things that you can see that your family may not be able to see. Someone that you know may not, you might be able to see the little dysfunction in their wardrobe. I think that's kind of a little bitterness you're wearing there. I'm pretty sure that's kind of envy. and You know, that's strife, and strife doesn't go with gentleness. You know, bitterness doesn't actually go with kindness. And unforgiveness doesn't go with love that doesn't have boundaries. You see, you get to be wardrobe coordinators. We're supposed to be creating a wardrobe that shows this journey we're on, this sanctification. And the same picture is found there in Colossians 3. You can mark it and read it later, where Paul talks about putting off the old and putting on the new. He says there in chapter 3, don't lie to one another since you laid aside the old self. You took those garments out, you laid them down, you said, look, these don't belong in my closet. And then you put on the right clothes. You put on those things which are a mark of the fruit of the Spirit. That lifelong process of constantly freshening your wardrobe. When you think about your life, you you have to look at it as a process. Anybody in here done in Jesus? I'm not, man. I get put in the microwave every day. It's like Jeffrey Scott Gill, God says that to me when he's wanting me to take something off. I I, I need you to be like me in that. I don't want you to be like you, I need you to be like me. 
Because that's not the armor of light you have on. That's the old party shirt. That's that t-shirt you got at Hussong's Cantina in Ensenada. Sorry if you have one. Just saying. Did you know what I'm saying? It's like you have those things and you kind of don't want to throw them away. Well, it's, a, it's memorabilia. But you really honestly can't ever think of a time where you're going to wear it. But you don't want to throw it out because it reminds you of something. The Lord's telling you to grab a trash bag, throw that stuff in it, and put it in the dumpster. Don't take it to Super Savers. Because you don't want somebody else wearing your trashy wardrobe. Amen? Take that little black dress and give it a little burial. And the reason I'm saying that is we can relate to what the apostle is saying here. We can relate in the process of sanctification what didn't bother you when you first got saved now should actually bug you ten years later. She so go, man, that does not belong on me. I need to replace that piece of clothing with righteousness and joy and peace and gentleness and meekness and self-control, those things which are the fruit of the Spirit, that's what I should be wearing. And he says this as an indicative, but it's also an imperative. In other words, you already have it, but you're still supposed to do it. In other words, you are righteous, but you're supposed to become more like the Lord Jesus, even though he already sees you as righteous. And we can all grow there. That's what sanctification actually does to us. And we look at the, the closet and we just, man, I need to wake up. I, I need to get urgent about this. I need to remember this, this Kairos moment. You see, the apostle is saying, look, it's time. It's time to get a little bit anxious. Do this, knowing what time it is. That the ultimate end of your salvation, that's what he's really saying, the ultimate end of your salvation is now much nearer than it was when you first got saved. You see, the ultimate end of your salvation is your glorification. One day you're going to heaven, amen? Now, some people go one at a time. But there's a day coming when everyone who's alive who loves the Lord's all going at once to meet him in the air, amen? And we don't know what day that is. So we're supposed to be fresh and ready. Metaphorically speaking, we're actually supposed to have on our bridal gown because we are the bride of Christ. We're supposed to be clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. So that when people see us, they ask, why are you dressed like that? Why do you have peace in the middle of the storm? Why do you have joy in the midst of a trial? How come you're not freaking out over the economy? How come you're not building a bomb shelter in your backyard? You see, because we love the Lord... Though those things are absolutely true today, I know in whom I have believed and he is able to keep that which is committed unto him right to the day of Christ Jesus. So if an A-bomb lands in Lomita, I'm going home to be with Jesus. And so are all the rest of you, by the way, because it's not going to stop there. (laughs) So that should cause us to be dressed up and kind of ready for that event. We think about where Israel is on, in the great path of the clock. Man, that second hand is ticking next to midnight right now. I was reading an article just this morning. Israel has been on its highest state of alert in the last 10 years, for the last two weeks. Because they have intel that Iran is seriously thinking about attacking them. Now, I can't tell you that's going to happen. I didn't say it to worry you. 
But the fact of the matter is, when that happens, that second hand is going to tick off those last couple of seconds. Because your Bible says that once they're back in the land, they will never be displaced again until the church is taken home. And then this great emissary initially of peace called the Antichrist will come on the scene and make a peace treaty and kind of settle things down for about three and a half years. You see, we ought to know what time it is. What kairos it is. What era, what epoch, what age. The same thing that King David said about those men of Ishakar who understood the times. The same thing that Jesus told the Sadducees and Pharisees. He said, look, you, you look in the morning, you say the sky is red, you know what's going on. But you cannot discern the signs of the times. You cannot discern the Kairos moment. You don't know the age. You know it's going to rain. Red sky in the morning, sailor take warning, Amen. That's an old sailing adage. If you see a red sky in the morning, by afternoon you're going to be wet. Well, they could tell that, but they had no idea what season it was. God help us to not be asleep. We have to get up from that slumber. If you look up all kinds of different definitions of the word sleep, It is a state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to events taking place. Sounds like a whole lot of the church, doesn't it? Sounds like a whole lot of the church. A state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness and a decrease of responsiveness to events that are taking place. They're not even concerned that their family is perishing. They're not concerned that the gospel isn't going forth into all the world. They're not concerned for the things of the Lord. They're concerned for the very same things that unbelievers are concerned with. We ought to be different. It's time to wake up. We need to be rapture ready. We must get out of that coma. And we're getting closer every day. One day we're going to be glorified. We're going to get to the end of this process of sanctification. That ought to stimulate us. That ought to motivate us. That ought to move us. That future aspect. And whether you think about it in the sense of a wedding or whether you think about it in the sense of going to you know, some you know, event that you're going to get all dressed up for, Look, I've done a lot of weddings. And when I watch what you ladies go through to get ready for a wedding, it's like, just don't talk to her. It'll be safer for you. I always tell the grooms, just ignore anything she says today. Just don't believe any of it. Because she's focused on getting ready. Every hair matters. Every stitch matters. There's 10,000 sequins. I lost the sequin. <laughs> Everything matters, right? Makeup's got to be perfect. Connie and I were having uh, an afternoon lunch over at Terranea. We went to Nelson's. We like to go there because you can eat fish and chips and watch the whales go by. And we're, we're out there eating fish and chips, and, and we left, and we're, we're coming back, and we're looking up at one of the little patio areas up there and somebody was preparing for a wedding we walked up there and I'm thinking oh somebody has some serious amounts of cash and I'm looking at it and they had flower arrangements on the regular tables that were like 15 feet high big gold plated everything and we walk around to the front because we like park up in the dirt parking lot where they let the little people go. <laughs> we go around the corner and there's an elephant. And the bride and the groom are going to get on the elephant to go to the wedding. I'm like, I don't know how much they spent, but they were getting ready for the wedding. 
no expense was spared. Are you doing that for the Lord Jesus? Are you pulling out all the stops to get ready for the arrival of the bridegroom? Does that concern you? Because your wedding day is really close. And that's the focus of what Jesus is giving us here through the, through the mouth of the Apostle Paul by the power of the Spirit. He's saying, look, I'm almost there. The wedding day is on us. Titus reminds us that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly living and, and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age and looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glorious and great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how we're supposed to be living because he's getting close. And on top of that, right after that happens, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. 2 Corinthians reminds us of that. We're in chapter 5. We're going to stand at that Bema seat and give an account. I'd like to think that I was ready for a long time. Not a kind of scrambled at the end. Again, I'm not beating anybody up. I'm just simply reminding us of what Scripture says here. We should be getting ready to meet Jesus. We should be donning the uniform, putting on the wedding gown, whichever way, whatever, however you want to look at it. We cannot, we do not know the actual hour. All we know is it's closer every day. And so to that end, just what Peter was saying looks like, where's the promise of his coming? There were mockers and scoffers then. There are really mockers and scoffers now. You don't really believe that stuff, do you, Jeff? Yep, I do. I believe literally that I could be walking down Pennsylvania with the dogs and <laughs> out of here. I do. I believe that. So if I'm crazy, I'm crazy. I don't care. Still crazy after all these years. Crazy for Jesus. Ever since the fathers fell asleep, Peter said. People have been saying that. Since the patriarchs, people have been going, where's Messiah? It goes with the territory. If you want grace, you're going to get a little mocking occasionally. Wear it as a badge of honor. Put you like a little medal on there. So he says, look, it's time to refresh. It's time to clean up the war. It's trying to put on the armor of light. You, you see what happens when you sin? You dirty up your garments. That's what happens. Doesn't mean that you lose what's in your heart, but it means that what you're wearing is no longer appropriate. And the reason we know this is the words that are used here. You see what Paul is actually saying, he says, Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing or in drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity or sensuality, not in strife or jealousy. What he's saying is, he said, just like a soldier who got leave and went off base to some kind of party and got drunk out of his mind, and hooked up with some babe that is not his wife and did all kinds of things he shouldn't do and then threw up on himself and got it all over his uniform, when you go back on base, you better take off that garment and you better put on the new garment, otherwise you're going to get court-martialed. He's saying, don't show up saying, hey, there's nothing wrong. Clean yourself up good news is by the power of the holy spirit through the influence of the word we can get cleaned up anytime praise the lord hallelujah thank you jesus even if you did go do exactly what's being said here you can still be clean because when we confess he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from that unrighteousness he'll put the oxy clean to your sin 
He'll get the shout and squirt it on there and get out of there. You see, you can clothe yourself in a lot of things. And God's reminding us, make sure you got on the right garments. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever done this. You're driving down the freeway and you look and there's some poor lady's dress hanging out the side of her door. You know, it's like it's a flag blowing down. She's like, nothing's happening. Can you imagine when she gets out of the car and realizes that half of her dress is on the 110? It's like, I thought this thing was longer. It's all tattered and dirty and muddy and grimy. You see, the realization comes when you actually look. Sometimes you don't see it when you're driving. You got to be looking, you got to be checking. You need to make sure that everything's inside before you start down the road of life. You have to lay aside, you have to cast off, you have to check the doors on the car. You, you see, sin and righteousness are incompatible. You would never think about leaving, you know, that beautiful gown hanging half out the door in a rainstorm and drive down the and guys if you're wearing one. Shame on you. I have, however, slammed one of the sleeves of one of my coats in the door and left it hanging out there, and the same thing happens. It kind of has that fringy look. The way you do that is by flipping on the light. The way you do that is checking out what's going on. The way you do that is by making sure you are circumspect, you are upright, you are watching. So he says, turn on the light. Put on the armor of light. And in this sense, the armor that's being talked about here is literally the armor of God. It's put on that girdle, that waist belt of truth. It's put on that breastplate of righteousness. It's wrap yourself in truth. It's cover your heart with the righteousness of God. It's put on your feet the gospel that is peace that lets you stand in the midst of the storm. It's picking up that shield of faith that above all things is able to quench those darts. You see, part of the problem is we wander around, we're wearing the wrong thing, and on top of that, oh, by the way, we're naked. You get the picture? We haven't put on any Christ. And so the enemy's just like... You wonder what happened. Because your heart's not guarded. Your mind's not guarded with the helmet of salvation. You've got no truth. You have no sword of the Spirit. It's like free pickings. You've got to gird up. You gotta put on that armor of light. I always imagine it's kind of like some battle-hardened wedding gown. It's like Kevlar or something, but it still looks awesome. It's like, yeah, this is my waist belt of truth. Sword of the spirit. People would know who you were then, right? Saw you walking around in that kind of garb. Just with your heart centered on the righteousness of Christ, wrapped in truth, standing in peace, walking in faith, remembering who you are as a child of God. You see, when you do that, when you put on that armor, people are going to go, wow, what are you wearing? It's my Kevlar robes of righteousness. You'd be renewed, made new, that spiritual clothing, that integrity, that purity, that holiness, those things which we wear that says to the world, man, I'm different. I'm different. See, we, we lived in the mountains. We always knew when, when people were flatlanders. Now that we are flatlanders, we probably, well, we've lost our mountain card. We're now officially flatlanders as well. But when people would come up, we could always tell that they didn't belong in the mountains. 
because they're wearing these nice kicks and there's no sole on them and they're out there just wandering around. Then you see their feet go straight up in the air and they land on their back on the ice and you're going, yep, you're not from around these parts, are you? The reason being is when you're in an environment where you know how to dress, you dress appropriately. God wants us to dress appropriately here in our world in righteousness. This is an ugly world. You need to put on the armor of light. You need to wear Jesus every day. You don't want to look like you don't belong in the kingdom of God. You want people to be able to spot you and go, there's something different about you, isn't there? He ends us by giving us some things that we're not to wear. These things should be easy for us, but it's amazing how many people want to debate. And he's going to get actually more clear about some of these things in chapter 14. But he says, you can't be wearing carousing or revelry. The Greek word there, komos. It's actually a military celebration. But it always turned kind of immoral. It had a tendency to go drunken. It had a tendency to end up in a place that you shouldn't be. What should have been the right kind of rejoicing ends up being the wrong kind of rejoicing. And he says you shouldn't be drunk or in drunkenness. That is intentional and habitual altering of your mind, intoxication, or altering that which is your normal brain chemistry is the way to understand it. So it doesn't necessarily mean you've got to sit around and drink a bunch of drinks. It means that you have altered your thinking through consuming, taking in something that makes you not be the real you. It's pretty specific. We're not supposed to be dressed in that. You put those two things together, and they spell party. It's what they spell. It's a party lifestyle. Carousing and drunkenness. That's not something a body of Christ should be wearing. Not something we should be known for. That's not legalism. That's the righteousness of Christ. That's how we are supposed to look to the world who thinks that's normal. We're the counter. We're supposed to be that one weird family in the parking lot at the ball game that isn't drunk. You know what I'm saying? You know, you pull up and there's your space and you got like, the guy over here has eight coolers and this guy has ten coolers. And you pull up and you're blasting praise music. Now, admittedly, they're going to ask you to move. Praise the Lord. They're going to ask you to turn down your ear. You're going to say, no, I don't think so. Because we're supposed to be different. The next two sins here should be something that we go, I'm, I'm okay, I'm not, nope, not going there. Sexual promiscuity and sensuality, and they're not the same, by the way. Sexual promiscuity is an interesting term. It's koiteo, from which we get the word coitus. Or going to bed with someone. It's really specific. That is any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. We shouldn't be doing it. And we surely shouldn't be promiscuous about it, which means shameless to excess or without restraint. You see what he's saying here? It's like the things that the world does, we are not supposed to be doing. Period. 
Every once in a while I get myself in trouble because I say things like, you know, we really shouldn't be doing that. And then people go, whoa, you don't know how much I love him or love her. I know how much you lust after him or lust after her because what you're doing is not love, it's lust. And that's exactly what's being talked about here because if you really loved them, you would wait until you're married. That's what the Bible says is the right kind of clothing. That's what the Bible says is the right garment to have on as a believer. And that's not to put a guilt trip on anybody. Say, don't be confused. Because here's what happens. And I've watched this happen hundreds of times. You go the world's way, and then that you do actually marry that person, and you find out that the Bible is true, and your marriage wasn't built on what it needs to be built on to last, because it was built on lust and not love, and all of a sudden that begins to wane. And before you know it, another stain goes on the garment. We're supposed to be dressed properly because we know what time it is. We're not to walk in strife. The Greek word there, eris, means contention, bickering, petty disagreements, enmity. It's the type of thing that leaves you antagonistic towards almost everybody in some way, shape, or form. I can tell you, I don't have any idea why he picked these three sets of two things. But I can tell you this, when you look at them, it's a sickness that pretty much the whole world has got. Reading all the stuff that's going on in our nation right now, I'm, I'm thinking maybe the whole Congress should just resign. Let's just stop this slow bleed thing of who's molested who. That's where this leads. That's where disobeying the word of the Lord goes. Because then you do objectify people. Then you do only care about yourself. You are a narcissist. You no longer have the love of God in your heart. You're willing to do anything to anybody to please yourself. Scripture tells us that in advance. So let's not go there. Let's us be different. Truly and really different. Not walking in zealousness. That's the Greek word. It it literally is zealous. Jealousy. We get zeal, zealous from it. But, but it carries the negative, self-ambition. Now think about all these things put together. What's on the front page of our news media every single day? Every day. These six things. So we're supposed to be different. Different garment. That's not legalism, family. That's the clothes we're supposed to be wearing. That's the way we're supposed to be dressed. And in that sense, what he says in verse 14 becomes very, very clear. You're supposed to put off strife and put off jealousy, not not to be weird about it. We're just supposed to look different. We're supposed to look like the Lord Jesus. It's about wearing the best clothes we can. I grew up, many of you in here did the same thing, where we used to say, let's put on our Sunday best. We're going to God's house. It was literally the best clothes we had in our closet. I think that's pretty applicable here. It's like pick out the best you there is and wear that every single day. Put on your Jesus best. It may not be perfect, but put on our best. It it, it may not be all the way there, but put on our best. You see divine clothes, beautiful clothes, the armor of light is righteousness. It's truth, it's holiness, it's love. It, it, It paints the right picture so that when the world meets us, they go, wow. That's a whole lot different than my boss at work. 
that's a whole lot different than my friends that I hang out with at the bar. Brothers and sisters, I'm with you. It's hard. It's difficult. But we can do it. Why? Because Scripture says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? So it's not an impossibility for us to put on the right clothes. The only question is, will we go through the closet and get rid of the stuff that shouldn't be in there? That's active on our part. That's laying aside. That's saying, "Mm -mm, this is going in the trash bag. And then you, you, you go to the storehouse of the Word, and you take out the right clothes, and you put them back in the closet so that when you look, what's in there is righteousness and joy and gentleness and peace, those things which are the fruit of the Spirit of God. You, you see love hanging in there. You're probably going to have about a 100 of those because no matter what you're wearing, you can throw on the love garment, and it's going to look good, right? Because it's supreme. You see, this is just a simple way for us to understand our obligation to the Lord because we're wearing His uniform. If you've ever had the opportunity, and I encourage you truly, if you get an opportunity to travel to Washington, D.C. and go to the Tomb of the Unknown and watch the changing of the guards. I've been there a half dozen times. I have cried every single time. I just stand there and watch this incredible spectacle of honoring those who have given their lives for our country, some of whom will never come home. But I got an opportunity to to talk to some of the people that were actually involved in the training uh, of those 7th Army Cavalry Unit guys that, that manned that post. They're only on for just a handful of hours. They spend the whole rest of the time preparing their uniform. Making sure that their weapon is absolutely perfect. Shining every piece of brass. They have these clip things that go around their buttons and they shine every single one of the buttons one at a time meticulously. You can see your face in their shoes. Why? Because it is an honor to stand in for those who will never come home. In an infinitely greater way, it is an honor for us to stand in for the one who is coming again. Amen? So let's get dressed up Let's get ready to go. Let's check our wardrobes. Let's get out of our slumber. And let's be ready for when the Lord comes. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. So worship team comes back out. I want to just encourage you. You know, maybe you got dirty this week. Look, that's how amazing God's grace is. You can leave here without that yuck. But I want to just encourage you, come up and leave it. Leave it with one of the pastors. Pray for that thing that's maybe got you a little bit dirty this week. Maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus. And you're saying, Pastor Jeff, I, I want to know this Jesus you're talking about. When the pastors come forward, any one of them would be delighted to lead you in that prayer to receive Christ. For the rest of you, maybe you're, you're doing fantastic. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for those of you that are wearing the uniform proudly. We want to keep doing that until the Lord comes and gets us. So wherever you are on that grand scheme of things, Make today, tonight a little better, and tomorrow a little better still. Uh, And do a little shining and a little buffing and a little primping and a little cleaning and a little cleaning. Do a little of it every day. And by the time the Lord comes for us, we're going to be ready to turn around and come back with Him as He comes to restore order to this planet. Father, thank You. 
thank you, thank you, thank you that you would choose to love us. And Lord, we admit that at times our wardrobe gets a little messy and God, we're asking that you'd help us stay clean. Lord, I want to pray for anyone tonight that maybe is struggling with some area of bondage. God, you're the bondage breaker. You're the one who can lift that burden. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would be touching those lives who need a special anointing from you to flee sin. And God, for those of us that are wandering and we're doing pretty well, God, would you strengthen us? Lord, help us to pull others up. Help us to point out those places where we can all do a little better and and joyously and gloriously allow you to work in our lives, Lord, so that we are ready for when you return. We thank you, God, for your work in our lives. Pray that you'd continue to do it. We're asking you to clean out our closets and make us new. Clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus. We pray these things in his wonderful name. Amen.